This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Tech Talk this morning. It's not every day you get the kind of interview that I've got for you guys today. Now, an email dropped into my inbox not too long ago asking me if I was interested in interviewing Caroline Yap. She's the Managing Director for Global AI Business at Google, and she happens to be Malaysian. And some of the things that we got talking about were her role in Google Cloud and what it's like to be a woman in the tech field. We also went on to speak about how organizations can kind of kickstart their journey in AI, given this huge rise of generative AI that we've all been seeing over the past couple of months. In fact, the last couple of years. And towards the end of the interview, we got chatting about what are some of the potential trends that we might see in generative AI moving forward. This is one of those interviews that feels like it was just kind of meant to be. It's a really, really nice, heartfelt, interesting interview. This is part one. Have a listen. Okay, Caroline, uh, thank you very much for joining me this morning then. Um, I know you're a busy person, so we'll, I'll just get straight to it. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about your role in Google Cloud and uh, you know, particularly uh, as a... And I hate to use this phrase, a woman in AI, you know, and I, it shouldn't have to be like that. But as the managing director of global AI business, can you shed, first of all, shed some light on some of the most transformative projects, I guess, you've been overseeing and how they're shaping the business adoption of AI? Oh, my. Um, actually, uh, that I, I like your question because there's quite a few that are really near and dear to my heart. Hmm. Um and for the audience, you know, I'm I am Malaysian. I know you hear a British accent, and um, but I'm Malay, Chinese, Indian, and Portuguese. So mm. Peranakan and Manyonya. Um, and I'm sure my Manglish will come out at some point. So fair warning to listeners: if I if I start to devolve into Manglish, you know, this is why. <laughs> I think they um, love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I one of my favorite projects um, at Google was what we did with um, Toyota. So, so for example, so Toyota decided that they wanted to own the entire in-car experience. And by that, um, it meant that they wanted their head unit to be their software. And you could then communicate with the car and all of the feedback within that communication with the car would be for them so that they could improve in-car experience versus using a third-party third software or anything like that that was embedded in the head units, which right. a lot of companies tend to do. Nothing wrong with that, but, but that's what Toyota decided they wanted to do. So they approached us and said, you know what, your consumer you know, division with all of the advancements you have in your speech and speech recognition, all these hundred something languages that, that Google supports and recognizes, we would like to embed some of that in the car, which you'd be willing to work with us. And if you think about it, you know, from a Google Cloud perspective, we are a hyperscaler, yeah. right? What that means is everything we provide is as a service. Our software runs on our hardware to provide you with a service for your business. Mm. And so when they came to us and actually said, you know, we want to do this, it was, okay, so first we decided to tackle from a technical perspective. That allowed us to not just work on the cloud side, but work with the other division we have at Google, which is our speech side. 
So the core speech team works with our consumer division, with Pixel, works with YouTube, right? Works with DeepMind on all of this speech recognition, um, you know, technology and tools. Mm-hmm. And so we approached the speech team and we said, um, you know, together with the product team on the cloud AI side here, said, hey, you know, what do you think? What, what if we started with just a few languages, right? The ones that are called, say, to the North American market. Can we test it? Is it possible? And um, what the Toyota team did was give us their hardware, because obviously it's the hardware that's going to run in the car. There's only so much space you have to be able to put something as sophisticated as a speech recognition tool in there to work. Mm. But we know it works on Pixel phones, right? So Mm. we know that the technology works on the phone. So how do we make it work in the car with the right quality? So we embarked on this and um, tested it, built the software. But wait a minute, we're a cloud company. We've never shipped software. We're not a software company, right? So, oh my goodness, you know, then it starts, but we knew that technically it was possible. The quality was really good. Toyota really wanted to partner with us on this. And so we actually set about creating what became the speech on device project. And it became a product. We announced it last year at at last Google Next, what the partnership did, but now it allowed us to provide speech recognition in an offline disconnected way same as the way it does on a Pixel phone, but this is from cloud, which means it's an enterprise solution. And it's not just for automotive customers, but now we can think of other use cases. Imagine a, a, a way for someone to speak a language and it pick it up and it can translate with a translation service what someone is saying, either at a remote hospital location yeah. or on your set-top box at home because you have elderly parents and they don't know how to troubleshoot your internet connection when it's bad, you know, they can literally just speak to a box and then somebody else at the other end knows how to send a signal to restart the, the cable box or mm-hmm. something like that. And so while we had solved one problem, it ended up leading to other potential societal benefits if other companies wanted to use this technology. And What's one of the things I really like about doing AI at Google is that it's the enterprise use case that then leads to other things that we can actually do that has much bigger impact than we might have first thought about. And also a new way to do business, right? For us, we are an AI company, but we're also looking at how AI can do and create new business and new business opportunities for our enterprise customers. But Mm -mm. I love that project. That's one of my favorite ones Mm. because it's accessibility. It's accessibility for people who might want, you know, can't reach the button and can't press it and they just want to say something, but they could be driving anywhere. There's no internet connectivity, so they don't have to use the cloud version. They can now use the offline disconnected version and still be able to do the things that they need to do. Mm. It's one of my favorite projects. In my head now, I'm I'm thinking of you creating a Manglish version as well, because that would be fantastic for like... Um, I am championing that so... (laughs) I Just so you know, I am championing that so hard, but um, I've had some people say to me, it's like, well, well, what is Manglish? And then the first thing, you know, from the scientist and research perspective, I say, that means we speak four languages in one sentence. Yes. And they, right? And then they say to me, well, what do you mean? You know, as, as, and my, because when I talk to my parents, hey, can you go and get the thing? What's the thing? <laughs> you know, the, 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 and so like, there's multiple languages, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, and so how do you, how do you deal with that? It's you know? wonderful. And, I mean, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things about Malaysia. The, the fact that it, it's so multicultural and all of yeah. these languages end up in one sentence and, you know, you can just resolve uh, an argument or even a discussion just by using one word. You can just say can. Or, or cannot, <laughs> and it's done. You know that—that's your discussion. Uh, anyway, 
That, I mean, that sounds like a fantastic project, uh, Caroline. But one of the things, uh, and I, I have to ask you this, uh, and I hate yeah. asking this kind of question, but it, it comes up time and time again. And if I don't ask this question, people would complain at me about it. You know, in an industry that is, I guess, a lot of people perceive it as being very male or dominated and oriented. Yeah. What challenges and opportunities have you kind of encountered as a woman in the tech field? How have they shaped, I guess, your your leadership style? Um, the women who are listening to this, uh, you know, podcast will understand. I've been in the tech space for about twenty eight years, mm. so I've seen I've seen some I've seen some things that I'm glad women who are entering the space today don't have to go through. Um, you know, because besides the golfing culture and all of that, right, mm. just just and that's the PC version, you know, of, of that kind of life. Um, but but it's actually been really good. I've, I've met with other women who have also been in the space as long as I have people who have come from the hardware industry and things like that. And one of mm. the things we've all said is we are, we we appreciate what we went through to get us to where we are. Yeah. But we're glad that now that we're here, we can stop other women from having to go through what we went through to get to a, a level, essentially a level enough playing field where it's about your skills yeah. and not about anything else. Mm, mm. Um, the other thing I also really like to say is, um, and I'm not, it's not just because it's I work at Google, but I think most of my time in this industry, for the for the longest for the longest period, I tended to use my other half's Western surnames. Right. Which made it easier for me to get a seat at the table to be taken more seriously. Yeah. But since I joined Google, I could be myself. Mm. And I think it's because of the safety net I feel Google has provided for, for me to be authentically myself. And like, look, I'm talking to you and I could speak those three other languages in one go in an interview you know what were the i don't think i would have been able to do that if i was working at any other company mm -hmm. and and so what i would say is that the in the 28 years i've been in tech things have changed especially with ai in order to remove bias in ai you need to have more people from more cultures more backgrounds and more demographics with a degree, without a degree, just with skills, you know, all of those things so that we can represent and build the systems that cover what the world is supposed to be yeah. so that we so that we can actually have a more equitable kind of AI. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and a lot of people seem to talk about AI and think about it's just a technology, but it's not. AI is the application and the application has to be designed for people from all different you know, walks of life, mm. you know, Manglish, Singlish or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I want to speak, uh, obviously, moving a little bit towards business and Google Cloud particularly. You unveiled further enhancements for uh, Vertex AI, uh, Duet AI. Um, and I, I guess this is kind of looking at how businesses can help kickstart their their you know, generative AI journey. It's the phrase that everybody is, is glorifying <laughs> right now. I don't yes. think a, a day goes by when I'm not speaking about some form of generative AI. And it's something I enjoy talking about, obviously. But for those people who are listening at home who might not know the difference between the two groups of solutions, you know, um, Vertex and Duet, um, 
Can you give me a little bit of a background on the both of them succinctly? And, and how do you envision organizations best leveraging either one of them to kind of kickstart their AI journey? So what I would say first is this, if we, and, and, and then we can, and then we'll talk about the, the business use cases mm. right after, but in simplest terms, Vertex AI is the end-to-end machine learning platform that we have at Google Cloud. But with that means that it's got built-in security, privacy, and all of the trust, explainability, et cetera. And by explainability, I mean, we even have a, a what-if tool for somebody who is already a machine learning, you know, a data scientist who does machine learning with the platform. You can model what a change might be to the model mm. to see what what the results could be. So you can experiment as well within it. Got it. But Vertex is also a little bit more powerful than just that from a, a machine learning piece. It It's also where we have our natural language understanding um, core capabilities. We have our vision and our vision APIs sitting inside of it. Um, and so it's it's more than just what data scientists might use. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fairly robust platform and it's run as a service mm-hmm. and it's running on top of our infrastructure, which as you can imagine, we support some of the, you know, Google as a whole typically knows how to build strong infrastructure for dealing with millions and billions of queries per day in, you know, 300 languages, you know, that kind of stuff, not 300 languages, but lots of languages at at a time, right? Mm. But that kind of situation. And so Vertex is the enterprise version of that with all of the safety and things needed, right? Got it. And then, so Duet is the developer side tools. So Duet AI is the developer side tools that developers can then use as a suite across workspace, as well as Vertex, as well as BigQuery, which is our data solutions, et cetera. So that's what it is. But where the generative AI aspect comes in is that for Duet, it's it can help you do things much easier. So you could say, let's say you're a database person, you could turn around and say, you know, help me write um, this in SQL code. Right. And it will know how to create that for you. That like in super simple terms. Mm. Um, and then on the Vertex side, there is also going to be a duet plugin into Vertex to help someone be able to do and create models much quicker. Mm-hmm. So Vertex is the platform. Duet is a developer set of tools that works across other Google products as well. Vertex included. Got it. OK. All right. Yeah. You said you got some uh, business use cases. Correct. And so. um so let's say, for example, and I like and I like this. I like to use this example: ATMs, hmm. right? ATMs, cash points, as we would say in the UK, right? Hmm. ATMs. We all know what they are. We've all been using them forever. We go there, we put in our card, we enter our pin. It asks us which account we want to get our money from. Bob's your uncle. You get your cash. Yeah. So, ATMs have had machine learning for a long, long time, and by that I mean, how do you know? which cash point, which ATM is running out of money, mm-hmm. running out of cash, mm-hmm. right? Because you know how sometimes you go up there and it says deposits only, right? Statements only, right? Because there's, there's no more cash. But banks typically look and they've had to do machine learning to understand what's going on in their network of ATMs. And now, especially as technology has gotten better, they can even go to the point of understanding which denomination, right? Is there 10 ringgit in there, 20 ringgit in there, 50 ringgit notes, 100 ringgit notes, you know? So they know Mm. which cash points need to be topped up. 
And typically, they would already know from past usage that the ATM that's closest to the market, most people prefer the 10 or 20 ringgit denomination, right? right? Yeah, for sure. All of that, all of that is already done by machine learning. Okay, so so let's say I'm the bank, I've got my ATMs, I have that, I already know the historical of the behavior. I'm going to plan how those cash points are topped up the next day. Mm. Great, super, right? There's going to be some parade there. People are going to buy a lot more stuff. I need to make sure there's more. How do I do that? Now, when you think about it from a use case, so Vertex, if Vertex was the, the platform of choice in that instance, it would already know if you wanted to change the model to go, I know there's a three-day festival. Help me model out what the what the how often this should be topped up based on historical usage. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Now the duet piece might come in where, hey, I'm a developer. I'm trying to create the app for the bank to also then help someone who's a customer like me or you. Right? You're going to go to the parade before me. I'm going to meet you there because you said you're going to go to the ATM, but. Your app has said, oh, yeah, you're going to go to that ATM. My app says, oh, by the way, my bank says that that ATM is not going to have, my ATM in the area is not going to have any money. This one will. So why don't you meet me at my ATM? Mm, mm. As a developer, that person could build really quickly an add-on to that app to try to deliver a different experience. Mm, mm. Right? That's the whole thing about the Gen AI it's how do you want to use the technology to create new experiences where it can query complex machine learning models, but surface the data in a very human-like way. Right. Um, yeah, it's just a simple solution to uh, what could have been a, a very complex set of rules. Right. Okay. So that's the end of part one of my interview with Caroline Yap, the Managing Director for Global AI Business at Google. This is not one of those interviews that comes around very often, so uh, stick around for part two. We're going to be moving on for very important things, uh, particularly if you are a consumer of Google products, and I'm guessing the majority of you are. We're going to talk about privacy and a few other related topics. Don't go anywhere. This is a Tech Talk here on BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and of course, welcome back to Tech Talk this morning, where I'm continuing my discussion, conversation with Caroline Yap, the Managing Director for Global AI Business at Google. Um, unless you've had your head under a rock for the past few months, uh, maybe even the past couple of years. Everything has been about AI. Uh, and this is part of that ongoing conversation that I had with Caroline. Uh, we move on to important things now. We'll talk a little bit about privacy. That's coming up in just a few moments. And potentially some of the things that you, your business could do looking forward to kind of give you a heads up about what might be happening in the world of AI in just a few months' time. We know that um, AI has opened up new horizons for businesses. Um, what do you think are some of the foundational steps that you recommend to some of these organizations that are looking to build AI tools or apps to better serve their stakeholders? Where should they start? What should they be looking at? 
so one of my um, one of my favorite Googlers. Yes, I've said it. I've thrown the word Googler out there. One of my favorite Googlers. Um, his name is uh, Sean Downey. He's the president of our um, global partners on the on the Google ad side of the business, and he also runs um, um, the Americas um, business. I love what he says. We've done a lot of um, C-level and board-level meetings together across mm. different industries. And one of the things we've been saying is this. I think there's three ways to think about AI, especially today, right? Because it's so noisy. There's so much happening. And what we've said is think about AI for growth. Think about AI for efficiencies. And think about AI for the future. Mm. And they're not always necessarily exclusive, Right. You could have something that is for growth because of internally, like let's say there's an internal metric to grow. I need to help this team do this particular action um, in 25 percent less time. Right. Yeah. Because then they can be focused on value added things they should be doing. But because the system or the tool wasn't there to make it easier for them, they're having to spend more time doing this rote, you know, drudgery kind of work, as they would like to say. Been there, done um, that. Yes. Right. Exactly. You know, so how do you think about, OK, so if the growth for that particular domain of that person's job is to improve by 20 percent, mm -hmm. you can then start to go, OK, so the new experience needs to help them reduce their toil by 25 percent. What data do we need to support it? Instead of thinking I need to go and clean up my entire data state before I can do any AI, which in the past would have been very true because a lot of people used to go, Automation, analytics, machine learning, AI, right? Mm -hmm. But now you now you have, if you fix the entire data estate, what do you know? Do you know if you're fixing your data estate for the right reason? You don't. Right. So how do you prioritize that? And so what we're what one of the things we 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 like to say is, okay, I got that growth metric. I want to save twenty five percent toil. That person works on say supply chain, right? You know all the billing and everything else related to supply chain. Fabulous. Okay. What data do we need to support that growth? Then you can look and go, okay, so these are the data sets that we know can support that growth. Now let's identify where the gaps are, if there are any, mm. in that data set so that we can feed that. Because if you have bad data into an AI, so you know what we say, rubbish, rubbish in, rubbish out, <laughs> or garbage in, garbage out, people have said, right? So how do you do that? Right? So what does that mean? Mm. So, But it also then brings together two teams who have typically not worked as closely together, which is IT and the business and also the data science teams in between. Yeah. So now you're able to bring people together in a way to deliver business value that was typically quite siloed in their thinking. And then you've managed to design because there's a business outcome that's very measurable. You figured out what data is required to actually deliver to that. And then you can decide, oh, yeah, you know what? This new way of doing things becomes now a policy or a best practice and can become the AI for the future. Right. And and that same kind of narrative can be applied across all industries, mm -hmm. all different types of workloads and, and you know, different departments. It, mm. it actually doesn't matter. Mm. Right. So, so how how would you do that? You know, so it's been really good to have that kind of conversation and ideation with all of these C level and board folks because they always thought it was too complex for them. But like the ATM example I gave you, yeah. right? You know, think about that aspect. Your bank being able to tell you where to go to serve your need because time is valuable to you is is fantastic. You don't have to walk all the way to a, an ATM that's not going to give give you what you need. Yeah. 
and particularly when you know you're like time is valuable, particularly in, in this society that we live in nowadays. I, I want to ask you though, and this is something that has been banded around for, for for a while now on the debate of AI and and, and in cloud. Yeah. Um, when we look at privacy and safety, yeah. Um, there are concerns. People do have concerns, and I think some of these concerns are you know are well meaning and justified. How do you, when you have a potential customer or you want to onboard an enterprise, how do you kind of allay those fears when they have these fears about LLMs and, and using their data and whatever? How do you say to them, it's not, I don't know how to put this, there's always <laughs> going to be some kind of risk, I guess, right? Yeah. How do you allay those fears to them, though? Okay, so... I. Uh this is one of the things that I think has also been in the news where a lot of people have been using the public, you know, public large language models, yeah. in, you know, BARD included, by the way, right? Yeah. People using using things like BARD and really enjoying the simplicity of it and the the, um, the the quickness they can get answers, questions, helping them do their, even their, even their jobs. Mm. And the... What's lost, I think, on people is that if you start to put your data into something like BARD, which is constantly learning, there is some risk in that sense because you may not have cleared with your IT division that that stuff is allowed to go to the public domain, mm -hmm. Yeah, right? Because yeah. that's going into a model that's always listening and always learning. Yeah. And this is the same for any public large language model. Anything that anything that's there, unless you have an enterprise agreement with them, and and they have the right security frameworks and things, you know, like we do on our side, for example. Like the point with us being a platform is that we've we've had customers who said that to us, like I want to make use of these large language models, but I want to do it in a very safe and also a responsible way. And so, how do I do that? And so, the whole thing around the the privacy and the trust is. If you're using something like the enterprise version of our large language models, which is available through the Vertex AI side, and by the way, Vertex AI also supports with our model garden, first party, which is Google first party models, third party models, right? So you could use other models if you wanted through the same management interface that we have mm -hmm. um, in Vertex, or you could even use open source models, right? So so we have it for Llama. We also support Claude 2 from Anthropic, you know, for example. Um, the point is that it's within the usage of Vertex itself in your Google Cloud, you know, as we say, the G it's your in your GCP instance. Right. Right. So your data stays within your instance. The How you access the large language model that you choose, um, typically on our side, if you're using a first party one is the example I'm going to give you, that model itself is actually frozen meaning it's not going to learn from the third-party data you're putting in there. What we're, what we're advocating for people is a best practice in machine learning, which is you train what we call an adapter layer so that it's specific to you and your business. So you're training your own little kind of you know business you know, machine learning model, and it will only pull from the large language model to augment any responses to the search that's coming to yours. Yeah. If it can't, uh, if if what you've already put in there and what you've trained doesn't know how to answer, so it will know how to do the inference. But if it finds that there's a gap, so let's say someone's making a request in a way that had it hadn't been heard, hadn't heard of before, right? Let's say you're asking it a question in some in a way that it's not, you know, doesn't know. It will then go to the large language model to augment the answer. But even then, that query would not even get stored in the way we've designed it in the frozen model. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big thing, right? 
the public version, like Bard, constantly learns everything that you put in there, the prompts, um, all of that. It will learn from itself constantly, mm-hmm. right? You're, you do it, I'll do it, you know, everyone will do it, and it's always going to sit there. But on the on the Vertex side, what you've created is within your realm of control. Unless you say, I want other people to be able to even use my prompts, no one can unless you've published it as a service. Right. And and we obviously won't do anything with your data unless you say that we can. So it all just stays within your little envelope and your little slice. Okay. Right. Um, I want you to put your thinking cap on just a little bit, right? And I, I ask this in a way because it, it feels like just a year ago, I was having a very different conversation about AI, um, whether or not it's generative AI, looking at stuff like mid-journey and how quickly that's come along and the ridiculous, it's like a hockey stick at how quick yeah. that kind of seemed to advance. You know, I was, I was, it was laughable almost at, at a point, you know, the, the kind of stuff that it was generating. And then just so quickly it advanced. And these are the kind of discussions that I find myself where if I'm not on the ball every single day reading about news about AI and whether it's generative AI, AI in the cloud, whatever, I'm so far behind that I I can't have a relevant conversation sometimes. Now, what I've got to ask, and and I know this is probably coming towards the end of of our session and it being our last question, just look ahead for, for me a little bit. And what do you see as the trends in the AI space that businesses in particular should be prepared for? So um, I I like to liken the AI market today to what Linux and open source was. I'm sure you're very familiar with that with all of the tech stuff that you tend to talk about, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about how long it took the Linux and open source, you know, ecosystem to grow over, you know, the 30 year kind of span, the AI ecosystem grew in six months or less, Yeah. right? Because everyone realized that there is a business need of some kind, niche or otherwise, to go and solve for. But the one thing that we all agree on is that it's very much about experiences, mm. right? And so then how do you, how do you get, you know, people to, to think about the responsible aspects of it? You know, do we have, do we need to have AI? Obviously, Google has AI principles. Do we need to have an AI strategy as a company? Do we need to have AI principles as a company? How do we make sure, like you said, that my IP or my data doesn't leak out into what it is I'm trying to do? But how can I also still understand that my consumers might be using this technology? I need to also have that in my business because I need to be able to attract talent. I need to be able to retain talent, but I also still need to be able to attract customers to stay on my products, on my solutions, right? Whatever the industry. So I would say that is this experiment, 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 build sandboxes so that your people can experiment as businesses. And and so you can ideate and, and realize that if your future customers or your future employees are already using this technology today, they might be the ones that you really need to design your solutions and services for. So that one, you, you don't get left behind because this is a form of uh, industrial revolution. Yeah, for right? sure. Right. And so how do you do that? And then how do you bring others up and upskill them while you're doing this and how do you remove barriers to encourage your people to help you build what the next generation of your business should be Mm. and 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 by the way as you do that 
how do you also still create your own principles around that? How do you invite different people from different business units to have AI principles and craft AI principles together with you,、mm. so that you can do the AI for growth, you know, AI for efficiencies, and and AI for the future? That that's exactly what I would say. Caroline, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You too, Richard. All right. I look forward、yes. to seeing you again. Take care. And that wraps it up, ladies and gents. That was my interview with Caroline Yap from、uh, Google, of course, the managing director of global AI business over at Google. If you did miss any part of this show, you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play,、uh, and have a listen back at your leisure. For Tech Talk, my name is Rich Bradbury here on BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.